You're listening to the Finding Unique Value Podcast with Jay Sparks. Hello, this is Jay Sparks, your host of Finding Unique Value, where I interview business owners that have found unique value in their business or industry that others have not yet seen or explored. And I'm excited to be joined today by Vitaly Bexler, who's the founder of a registered investment advisory firm based in Massachusetts called Beyond Borders Investment Strategies. And um, if you've ever wanted to invest some of your assets outside of the U.S. and wanted an economical way to do it that incorporates both fundamental analysis and quantitative analysis, Vitaly calls this quantamental. Um, his is the only firm that I'm aware of that uses this sort of very unique strategy. Um, on top of this unique strategy, he's also spent time at some, at some very large, uh, well-known institutions such as Fidelity Investments, State Street Global. He is a chartered financial analyst, and he holds an MBA from MIT. So it's with great pleasure that I introduce you to uh, Vitaly. Vitaly, welcome to the uh, podcast. It's great to be speaking with you today. Thank you so much, Jay. It's a true pleasure to, to be speaking to you. I enjoyed listening to your podcast, and uh, it's a great pleasure to join you. Great, great. Well, um, could you take a minute, and I, I only touched the very uh, uh, surface of your background, but could you just take a minute and just let us know um, a little bit about, um, about yourself, you know, where you, uh, you know, what, what you're currently doing, where, where you came from, and, and we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Um, so I'm a CEO and portfolio manager at uh, Beyond Borders Investment Strategies, a company that I founded in 2014. And uh, Beyond Borders it's an, uh, is a boutique investment management firm that uh, provides investors with uh, internationally diversified equity strategies aimed at uh, decreasing risks and increasing risk-adjusted returns over a market cycle, usually three to five years. We do it by cost-efficiently allocating funds uh, to single-country equity ETFs of uh, emerging frontier and developed markets uh, that uh, are usually trading at uh, large discounts to their long-term uh, average uh, valuation levels. It often happens uh, during or after uh, these countries went through a significant crisis or just had uh, difficult economic uh, times, difficult, uh, you know, for example, they went through a period of low demand for their exports. So no, that's uh, that's impressive. You're you're right in the middle of uh, um, uh, a lot of places that um, are overlooked, right? Because uh, you know p- people exactly. are looking at the the shiny growth uh, tech companies, and um, in this uh, low interest rate environment, you know there, there's certainly many opportunities outside of our borders. So uh, I, I think that's really uh, really incredible. Um, would you would you want to go over just a, a little bit about um, uh, the, the the particular problems that you're trying to solve for your investors, because with this strategy, there are a lot of things that you can do. But what are what are the typical types of things that you want to uh, you want to do for the people that you serve? We uh, we are trying to help our investors uh, alleviate um, uh, their uh, home country bias, and uh, maybe uh-huh. uh, you are familiar with this. It's a tendency of uh, investors. Uh, to invest in local stocks and bonds, uh, something that uh, they are familiar with. And uh, the reason uh, home country bias can be a problem is that uh, it increases uh, 
uh, riskiness of a portfolio and uh, potentially decreases uh, its returns. And uh, let me um, explain this. Mm -hmm. um, according to a recent white paper uh, from Vanguard, um, adding uh, from 40 to 50% uh, of international stocks uh, to a US uh, stock portfolio minimizes volatility of the total portfolio. Uh, it makes sense uh, because the uh, US stock market is around uh, 50 to 55%, uh, depending on the year when you measure, uh, measure this. And uh, when, uh, even though uh, the US market is uh, the least volatile, adding international uh, markets to it reduces uh, the overall volatility of the portfolio because of the um, because markets uh, go up and down at different times so uh, we get benefits of diversification interesting um, yeah because that, that that's a little that's a little counterintuitive right you you would think that if you're investing in a company if you're a u.s uh, uh investor and you're investing in a company outside of our borders um that you would be increasing uh, your risk because you're investing in an area that most likely does not have the same level of information that that we're required mm -hmm. to provide here in this country is is that is that something that you're able to to overcome through your your selection or through diversification or how does how does that work yeah it's it usually um it happens due to diversification um and uh, we you probably when you look at different markets uh you can see that uh some of them go up uh, and some of them go down, right? And uh, that's exactly, you know, what we're trying to uh, help our investors with, you know, to, to have the, um, to reduce the volatility of the overall portfolio, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, uh, and second, uh, our second uh, important goal um, in alleviating home country bias is to help investors um, earn higher returns. Mm -hmm. Uh, we uh, believe uh, that, uh, you know, actually, I, I know this, uh, we, we measured that uh, since the beginning of the 21st century, um, international markets outperformed um, U.S. markets uh, in 53% uh, of the time. So we, we measured it on year-over-year -year basis and on month-over-month month -month basis. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense, uh, and we measured... Uh, international markets uh, by the performance of MSCI, All Country World Index, uh, equally weighted. In many cases, um, international markets outperform uh, U.S. markets during non-crisis times. When uh, the situation is good, uh, they rally uh, better than, uh, or they rally stronger than the U.S. market. During crisis, uh, U.S. market is a better bet as people uh, go back to um, safe haven currency and safe haven uh, stock market. Sure. So that's how it, uh, it works, and th that's what we're uh, trying. Our strategies are a complement for uh, investors' um, exposure. You know, most people have very good exposure to the U.S. market. According to, to, the, uh, to once again, to this uh, report from Vanguard, an average U.S. investor has 75% of his or her money allocated to uh, U.S. instruments, or specifically stocks. You know, in their the in the equity portion of their portfolio, 75% are allocated to the U.S. stocks, 
while the mm -hmm. U.S. market um, market capitalization is only 50 percent. So it's uh, you know uh, we are trying uh, to help investors to have a slightly higher uh, exposure to international and emerging market stocks. That's interesting. So you you've obviously done your research on doing back testing. Uh, that, that that's certainly important. Um, now going forward, that that's all that anyone really should care about, right? So that that's what happened mm -hmm. in the past. How do we know what's going to be repeated? And it's not always you know a, a clear uh, indication, right? Because things change. For instance, the interest rate environment is very different um, than it was. 20 years ago, so it's hard to use some of the same data. And if you are, you're yeah. probably going to make the wrong decision. So it sounds like you're taking this into account. Now, how do uh -huh. you, so so you're doing good at, 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 at um, measuring the risk, which I think a lot of um, uh, Wall Street does a, a, a good job on. And what you also do, which I think most people do not even consider, is I think you use a different term, but, you know, we, we just call it uh, uncertainty, you know, things that, that haven't happened yet but could and then trying mm -hmm. to you know, put some sort of probability on that. That, that. That's extremely important because if you don't do that, you're going to have a very uh, nasty surprise. And that's typically why the average U.S. investor, if their you know, uh, investment vehicles are averaging you know, uh, 7, 8, 9%, which is typical, you know, they're averaging you know, 4, 5, 6% because they're typically you know, adding money at the top and taking money out at the bottom because they're getting nervous and listening to the you know, the media. So how do you, uh, on an international sense, it, it's even more tricky because each country and region is very different. How do you um, account for that uncertainty and how do you try to uh, mitigate that? So uh, what we're trying to do is uh, the most important indicator for us, it's uh, low valuation. We mm -hmm. look at um, the whole universe. Uh, there are 49 countries, including the U.S., that have single country ETF associated with their markets. So okay. uh, we look at all markets and we try to find the ones uh, that have uh, lowest valuations. And then uh, we calculate expected returns mm -hmm. and see which countries have uh, maybe a combination of lowest valuations and highest expected returns. And then we try to figure out uh, what's wrong with these uh, countries, you know, especially yep. the ones with uh, low valuations. Yep. Uh, what caused uh, their markets to go down? Um, and uh, we use uh, our quantumental process, which is half uh, quantitative, uh, which gives us breadth of coverage. And yep. uh, after we uh, manage to filter out several countries, we uh, go in depth and analyze them in depth and uh, try to figure out uh, what's wrong uh, with their markets. Uh, maybe it's political, there are political issues, maybe there is lack of demand for their products, uh, maybe uh, something else uh, happened uh, with this country. And um, if we can um, identify specific risks, uh, we understand the, uh, that political risks are understandable and acceptable. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we understand the nature of the crisis and we can uh, forecast what potential catalysts uh, for stock market valuation improvement exist there. And in this case, we start a position in this country, investment position in this country. We understand we will never know everything about the country and that any investor may be surprised, um, mm -hmm. especially in the emerging market world, uh, but in developed countries as well. 
So we never go uh, in order to mitigate this. We never um, have our positions exceed 10% of our portfolio. Um, and this is very important. Um, you don't want uh, a crisis or a bad surprise um, really surprise you. And, uh, sure. you know, you, don't, you want to live uh, to fight another day. And uh, yeah. uh, for most countries, we have a limit of 10%. Uh, that's for developed and emerging markets. But for more volatile um, emerging and frontier markets, our uh, limit is 5%. Okay. No, that's uh, that's great. So um, fees are, are a big issue, right? Because fees mm -hmm. compound just like returns do. So yep. I, I understand why you use ETFs because they, they tend to be less costly, but not necessarily, particularly if you're looking in the markets that you're looking at because they're they're very um, uh, labor intensive. So I can, I'm, I'm sure some of these um, may have some larger fees. So how do you, how do you, uh, how do you look at that? And do you use uh, similar um, fund families, or are there, are there many different types of firms that you use? Like, how does that, how does that process work? Um, so uh, there are several um, fund families that we use. Mm -hmm. um, the most dominant uh, fund family is uh, iShares I, uh, by okay. BlackRock. Uh, yep. They have uh, more ETFs for uh, more countries, but then um, there is a, there are, uh, Global X and uh, Van Eck uh, families. They cover some uh, smaller markets. Okay. And re recently, um, Franklin Templeton entered this field um, at the end of 2017, uh, and they started. Um, offering their ETFs uh, for a number of countries. I think they cover 21 different countries and uh, they have uh, significantly lower fees. Um, I think for uh, an emerging ETF, emerging market ETF, their fee is a 19 basis points. And uh, for a developed ETF, it's nine basis points. So uh, as you can see, uh, and uh, previously the average uh, um, the average fee was around uh, 60 basis points uh, or from 45 to 60 basis points for different uh, ETFs. So as you can see, they cut um, uh, the, the, they cut uh, the fee structure dramatically. And uh, we uh, try to be a low cost uh, provider. Okay. For our clients, we charge also uh, relatively small uh, fees, you know, on the top of this. Okay. Um, so no, that's, a, that's to incredible. Yeah, no. Uh, so all in, you're, you're you're still charging significantly less than um, the typical registered investment advisory firm that's using a, a U.S.-based asset allocation model. So you're you're charging less, you're um, providing uh, potentially greater return and and less risk. So that's a great uh, that's a great combination. So how do you um, do you have any any examples um, that you could share um, of any of the the past investments? Because you know this all sounds great in theory, but I think uh, you know a concrete example really helps um, uh, us understand exactly how this 
um, how this can can benefit us. And I'm sure you have. Uh, I'm sure you have a few. Uh, let me talk uh, a little bit about the uh, one of the very first uh, investments that we made mm-hmm. at the very beginning in 2014. Okay. Uh, it was. Uh, an investment in a Brazilian ETF. Um, we used iShares MSCI Brazil capped ETF. Uh, for those who are interested in this, the ticker is EWZ. Mm-hmm. And uh, we invested on the uh, first day of uh, trading when we started building our portfolios. It was uh, January 2nd of 2014. Um, and uh, I remember uh, talking to some of my uh, colleagues about this investment. And uh, when I would mention that I just started the firm and I invested in, uh, in a Brazilian ETF, their, their eyes would glaze over. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, one of them verbalized it. Uh, he just, uh, my, one of uh, the colleagues said, you know, you seem like a, Nice guy, but why would you invest in a Brazilian ETF? And the reason yeah. was uh, this. At the time, Brazil was going through a perfect storm. Um, they had problems in their uh, business uh, area, in their yeah. political um, uh, area. And on the top of this, they had Zika virus that uh, prevented many people from many tourists uh, from going to, uh, to the country. Sure. If you, um, maybe you remember... In uh, 2014, uh, Brazilian economy was uh, shrinking. Um, uh, Dilma Rousseff uh, just uh, barely managed to win uh, her re-election campaign, but she was involved uh, in a scandal, actually several uh, scandals that um, finally um, reached out, uh, you know, uh, and uh, led to her uh, impeachment and her mm-hmm. removal from power. The uh, people didn't invest in Brazil because the sentiment was horrible. Uh, people were not sure whether uh, Dilma would continue um, leading the country. There was very little confidence. Mm-hmm. But what it all led to were very, very low valuations. Sure. We started our positions um, when valuations were, were cheap, and then uh, they went from uh, cheap to dirt cheap. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and if the story doesn't change, and that, that that's a that's a screaming buy signal. But as you know, it's incredibly difficult to um, help the you know typical investor understand that. So were you able to um, help your investors see that um, it was a you know a better bargain? Therefore, if they had additional money, they should continue to add. Is was that uh, something you were able to do? Uh, yes, uh, I tried to explain to people. Um, at the time, um, our favorite uh, valuation measure, total mm-hmm. market cap divided by GDP, it was um, blinking green for us. Yeah. It was uh, showing um, <clears throat> that um, the, um, at the time, Brazilian ETF was trading at, uh, uh, at the level which was uh, one standard deviation below the average, mm-hmm. which means uh, that in 84% of the time, it trades at higher valuations. If you take a position, if you invest in something, it's a, it's a good time to invest. Sure. And uh, we, we did this. Um, and uh, it was interesting that um, I wrote at the time that uh, 
anything, um, any developments in the political sphere, long-term that could uh, impact the uh, path of the country uh, would uh, result in probably in uh, higher returns. And what happened was um, it was the announcement uh, that the impeachment proceeding against Dilma President Rousseff uh, would uh, would start. Mm-hmm. It became mm-hmm. this uh, major um, catalyst uh, for uh, for the uh, stock uh, for the Brazilian market uh, overall. And um, you know, and that's how we uh, you know in twenty. 16, uh, Brazilian market became uh, the best performing market. Uh, its uh, main index, Bovespa, increased by 64.5%, and MSCI uh, Brazil uh, rose by 67%. Wow, that's uh, so, incredible. Um, and we were adding to our position. We started, it's very difficult to invest at the very bottom of the market, as sure. uh, you probably know. But uh, we were building our position uh, patiently in 2014, 2015, the market was declining. We were taking small positions. But when we saw that momentum changed, we added to our position and uh, um, it worked out for us. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, yes. uh, you know, and, um, you know, Jay, um, and, uh, one of the reasons uh, for starting this firm um, was um, I had an experience before with investing in uh, individual stocks. You know, it was mm-hmm. a negative experience. Uh, yeah. We lost uh, a lot of money in emerging markets yeah. um, when I worked for uh, bigger firms. Yeah. And um, what was uh, interesting that at the time, as I, I was uh, working with this ETF, I was mm-hmm. also um, reading about um, another situation when um, a, a corporate investor, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, mm-hmm. um, invested in an individual um, stock that was considered, or a stock of a company that they knew extremely well, and they thought uh, probably that um, they cannot uh, lose money. Uh, it was a stock of a shipbuilder uh, whose main client, I think the only client, was mm-hmm. um, Petro- Petroleum Brasileiro, which is Petrobras. Yeah. Uh, uh, a company that is owned uh, mainly by um, Brazilian state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, uh, this company, uh, the name of this company was Ecovix, went out of business. Why? Mm-hmm. Because of the scandal that finally claimed uh, Dilma Rousseff's presidency got her... Uh, uh, it got uh, Petrobras in this, uh, you know, it was one of the, uh, you know, the scandal it was uh, later described in the Operation uh, Car Wash. So um, <clears throat> what happened was the top management of Petrobras uh, was involved in taking bribes from construction firms. So it, it, they had nothing to do with this uh, company, Ecovix. And, but uh, what what happened, uh, Petrobras was not able to buy any more ships from Ecovix. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result, uh, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries and their partners had to, uh, uh, to, to lose. They lost uh, their 300 million investments. 
in 2016, roughly at the same time. So for us, it worked out uh, because we invested in a diversified um, yeah. ETF, a Brazilian ETF, uh, <clears throat> but they were hit in, in this uh, case by um, something described uh, that uh, was uh, popularized uh, mm-hmm. by Donald Rumsfeld, by the concept of unknown unknowns. Yes. Uh, you know, something that uh, Chief Ekovics, you know, even though uh, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries uh, were working with them. They they knew the company from inside and out mm-hmm. uh, much better than any outside investors uh, sure, investors sure. would have been able to learn. But um, Mitsubishi nevertheless lost money because of the scandal that uh, they could not predict. And even if they did, it would be very difficult to to predict all those chains of events too. But exactly so, right. So 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 the way that you um, manage that is is by not using individual securities, but using the ETFs, but not using um, over diversified ETFs, which is um, uh, a mistake that some people make um, in uh, in this country. You know, if you don't know what you're doing, then certainly buy a piece of everything. But if you're right. trying to grow grow wealth, it's very difficult to do that because all 500 companies in the S&P 500 are not going to go up a dramatic amount over uh, over time. You're going to own you know a lot of things that aren't growing either. So that, 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 that's how you are already over to, able to overcome the over-diversification issue. The other issue that, that I think comes up a lot is um, kind of the, 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 the buy and hold mentality. You, know, you need to know um, when to, uh, you know, you don't want to be timing necessarily, right? As you said, it's hard to pick mm-hmm. the, the, the bottom or the top, and certainly both, which is really what you need to do if you're a good timer. And I don't know anybody in the investment industry that, that has ever been a good time over any reasonable amount of time, right? They, they just don't exist. It doesn't, because it, it can't be done. There's too many things. And your example with Mitsubishi is a good, is a, is a good example. Those types of things happen all the time, but um, you can potentially see these trends, right? When certain things hit certain probabilities, it makes a lot of sense. So it seems that you're not, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you're not a you know, buy and hold investor. You're looking for opportunities, and, and when things change, you change. So how do you, how do you strike that balance um, uh, to, you know, for instance, if you get into something that maybe isn't moving the way you thought, would you, would you um, maybe leave and, and kind of take your losses, or, or do you wait? I mean, how does that, how does that work in your, in your firm? We would uh, leave uh, if things, you know, if our thesis becomes obsolete, if something mm-hmm. happens uh, yep. and our story uh, turned out to be incorrect. Uh, we would wait if everything is playing out and we're not losing, let's say, more than uh, 10, 15 percent. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we have uh, this uh, floor. Okay. You know, we would start leaving if uh, we... Uh, lose a significant amount of money just for the uh, risk management standpoint. Sure. Uh, now, if, if if the data hadn't changed, but it was, you know, basically fear-based or it could be, you know, a, um, you know, a, a political event or, a, or, or a, even a natural event, right? That, that can drive things mm-hmm. sometimes in the short term. Would you still use that 10, 15 percent, you know, stop loss, if you will? Or would you actually add at that point? Because that would be, you know, movement that's most likely driven by emotion, which is something that you can, someone disciplined like yourself can capitalize on. We will try to uh, assess what's happening uh, mm-hmm. in this situation 
And uh, if we see that uh, it's a temporary event, um, mm -hmm. more likely something, uh, you know, that may uh, go away, uh, we could add to our position. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's very important. We would not uh, necessarily, uh, you know, sometimes uh, it, it all depends on mm -hmm. whether this disruption, you know, that uh, caused this stock price is a long term in nature uh, or a short term. For mm -hmm. example, if a country imposes capital controls, it's a long term impediment. Sure, uh, we sure. know that they would not change their strategy for, uh, let's say, for a year or two years or maybe three years. Mm -hmm. uh, who knows? So it's a long term. So we would um, leave the country. We would uh, sell our um, mm -hmm. investment and uh, just leave. If um, it's a shorter term, as you said, maybe it's an environmental uh, mm -hmm. issue or maybe a kind of a, it's a shorter term scandal mm -hmm. or mini scandal, uh, sure. we would stay in this country. Okay. So, uh, no. Yeah. And we would maybe even add, as you correctly pointed out, uh, we would add to our position. Yeah, no, that's and that, that's probably one of the most valuable things you would do for anybody that you uh, that you you chose to uh, to work with, right? Because that's incredibly difficult to do for the layman or even someone that knows something uh, about about investing, because it's uh, all, all the information that you're getting in the media will, will tell you to do otherwise, right? And that that's why most people aren't able to uh, generate wealth by themselves, even though they're smart and they, you know, they have common sense. It's, it's still a very emotional thing. So I, I like, uh, I really like the, uh, the quantum mental approach. I, I've never heard it uh, phrased quite that way before, because many times uh, people don't want to make a decision, so they just try to do a little bit of everything. And that, as you know, doesn't work. You do have to have some discipline and a, and a point of view where you're not going to be able to take advantage of these these true uh, true dislocations. Well, I'm I'm really fascinated by this uh, by this by this strategy, uh, Vitaly, because you you found a way to not over diversify. You found a way to invest outside the United States. You found a way to do this um, in a way that um, uh, lowers fees. And you've also found a way to try to um, get uh, away from the timing aspect of it that, that, that so many people try to do. And then um, on top of that, you are trying to, uh, as you brought out uh, Rumsfeld's uh, unknowns, unknowns, um, you try to you know, account for that in, in some way too, which is really amazing because um, I, I don't know of anyone that has a systematized way of doing all of that. So that, that is really, uh, really impressive. Um, so if somebody is listening to this and they really want to, to learn more, what, what is the best way for them, to, uh, for them to get in touch with you? I have my email or mm -hmm. they can uh, go to my uh, website. Uh, my company's website is www.bbistrategies.com. They can find all the information. Uh, there is also uh, my, you know, they can send, there is a, an option to send a, a message. To, to the company's email, and mm -hmm. uh, I'll receive it, and uh, I will respond. Okay, great, great. Well, again, I appreciate your time, Vitaly, and I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, this really fascinating conversation, and thank you for opening up uh, a little bit about w what you do. This tends to be a very secretive um, industry, but uh, I love the fact that you're, that you're open to um, to sharing what, you've, uh, what you find and how you find value and how you 
uh, create value and, and more importantly increase value for people over time which is really incredible um, and, um, and we know now how to uh, reach out to you if we do have any any further questions and uh, for everyone else thank you again for listening to finding unique value and we look forward to uh, to next time thank you the finding unique value podcast is sponsored by elliott asset management we help successful entrepreneurs create wealth outside of their business to discover the five ways successful entrepreneurs become intelligent investors and grow wealth beyond their business visit elliottam.com webinar 